Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When the pandemic descended on Northern California, cities and counties around the region passed eviction moratoria designed to keep people in their housing despite the wild economic turmoil of that time. But a moratorium is not forever, and though local governments stretch them out, now the evictions are coming in droves. So today we take a deep dive into what's happening in Alameda County. One official estimated that renters owed $125 to $300 million in back rent to landlords there. The Oakland side's Natalie Ornstein has spent weeks reporting on the eviction court in Hayward that's trying to keep up with the flood of evictions, and she'll join us to share what she's learning right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Evictions are terrible for the people who experience them. Matthew Desmond's book, Evicted, and subsequent work at his eviction lab at Princeton have shown that there are all kinds of bad outcomes for people who are booted from their rentals. So it was not unreasonable that in the emergency of the early pandemic, local governments sought to prevent their citizens from even deeper life disruptions. However, despite government programs to help renters and landlords The burden of providing that societal good of keeping people in their homes often fell on the people who rent out homes and apartments. Landlord groups like to highlight the mom-and-pop folks who are renting out just a place or two. Tenant groups talk up the big corporate landlords who might have thousands of units. Of course, both exist. But the sole judge down in Hayward, who's handling eviction lawsuits for Alameda County, Victoria Kulikowski, says she thinks of it like this, quote, I don't view one group of people as being awful and the other side as saintly. You have thousands of individual situations. And we'll try today to make space for all the different individuals who are caught up in the structural realities of our rental housing system. Joining us this morning is Natalie Orenstein, she's an Oakland side reporter who profiled Kolakowski as part of a multi-part series going inside eviction court in Alameda County. Thank you so much for joining us, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, let's talk a tiny bit about what eviction court is, so what you can kind of see there. So how do people end up in eviction court? Yeah, absolutely. There's several steps that happen along the way before people end up in Hayward and Department 511 um, having their eviction case heard. So when a landlord wants to evict a tenant um, in Alameda County, they have to give them an eviction notice. It's that piece of paper that shows up taped to your door in some cases. 
uh, that can give you as little as three days to move out um, or to to resolve the situation as in, you know, pay your rent that you owe. Um, if you don't do either of those things, um, and many people at that stage do take it upon themselves to just go ahead and move out when mm-hmm. they receive that. Um, if you don't, the landlord can file an eviction lawsuit. Um, and that's really what my series covered. Um, when when a tenant receives an eviction lawsuit, they have five days to file an answer. Uh, that means five days to go to the courthouse and say, hey, I shouldn't be evicted. Here's my defense. Um, if they don't do that, they are uh, evicted. Right, um, they by default. default. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. And if they do do that, then does the case go to court right away? Does that buy time? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it can be uh, a different number of days in different cases. The landlord um, goes and uh, pursues mm-hmm. their lawsuit and they get a settlement conference date and they get a trial date. And typically lawyers on both sides or parties on both sides try to work this out before mm-hmm. going to trial. So we're assuming they don't. We end up down in Department 511 in Hayward. Take us into like, what does an eviction court proceeding really look like? Yeah. Um, so the the strangeness, the surrealness of that space in Department 511 is that there's a lot of nitty gritty bureaucracy and kind of boring legal proceedings that are incomprehensible if you don't speak legalese. Mm-hmm. And on the same time, there is a ton of emotion and pressure and, and people on one hand at risk of losing their homes and on the other they're out of desperation. Um, in some cases, their tenants haven't ba- been paying rent for up to three years in these cases. So high stakes, high emotions, and bureaucracy all mm. colliding in one um, one space. But what happens, um, there's a lot of different things that are heard in that, in that place. Um, sometimes people are asking for the judge for more time before they have to move out if they have defaulted. Sometimes there are what's called court trials where the judge literally decides whether a person will be evicted or not. Often it's just the judge checking in with the lawyers like, hey, have you guys reached an agreement yet? What, what's going on? Yeah. And of course, you're doing this series now because all of these eviction moratoria are expiring or, or have expired. Really, I think Berkeley's the only one left. Yes. Um, what, is that, what has that done to the number of eviction cases showing up before the court? Right. Uh, let's put this in some perspective. I mean, th- the short answer is that eviction cases have exploded in mm-hmm. the past few months. Um, before the moratorium, before the pandemic, average was around 300 cases a month in Alameda County. That completely came to a halt once the moratoria were passed. Um, throughout the duration of the three-year moratorium, there was never more than 100 cases any given month. In May, after the Alameda County eviction moratorium expired, that number shot up to 557. Mm. In June, it was close to 800, which is pretty staggering. Um, July, it dropped back down to 500. But uh, these moratoriums are expiring on a sort of staggered basis. So Oakland's only just expired in July. Mm. And it's the biggest city in the county, so there's a widespread expectation that these numbers are going to shoot back up again. And when will that be? That'll start to hit like in just the next few weeks, right? Yeah, I haven't checked the numbers in the past few days, but it 
could be happening right now. Um, Oakland, the, the city council and voters actually passed a number of policies during the pandemic trying to soften the blow of the end of the moratorium, trying to ease uh, this what's often called tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, they And one of those rules was a policy saying permanently forever in Oakland, you cannot be evicted for owing less than one month's worth of rent. So yes, Oakland's policy ended or moratorium ended July 15th, but landlords couldn't rush to court. They had to wait this extra month. So we're just going to be now really seeing what the impact of that is. Got it. How were these moratoria supposed to work sort of in tandem with rental assistance programs? Like, were there like sort of direct ties or was it just kind of two overlapping systems? Um, I think ideally it would have been directly correlated. How it worked out in practice is there was a lot of frustration and a lot of uh, need that wasn't solved by these programs. So, yeah, as you referenced, um, these eviction moratoriums said uh, tenants can't be kicked out of their homes for not paying rent during the pandemic, but they still owe that rent. And that was a nuance that kind of got lost in some of these uh, discussions. But in response, local and state governments set up these rent relief programs uh, where if tenants couldn't pay rent, theoretically, they were supposed to be able to get get that money from the government, give it to the landlord. Tenant doesn't have to leave their home. Landlord isn't missing thousands of dollars. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, there were a bunch of like, bureaucratic hiccups with these programs. There simply wasn't enough money, even though this was statewide, this was billions of dollars. It still wasn't enough money to address all of the missing rent, all of the need. Uh, there were major delays and it just kind of increased tensions between landlords and tenants in the end. Because someone was had to make up that landfall, right? And uh, that that gap in between what the state paid and what the renter said they could pay, right? So either the landlord was out the money or the renter would eventually have to pay it. Exactly. And that's kind of the next big question here. What happens with all of this debt that exists? Um, many landlords are still owed tens of thousands of dollars in some cases, Uh it's a big question mark about what's going to happen. And a lot of property owners are pushing for something like property tax forgiveness or you know, mortgage forgiveness, some kind of policy response that would make up for this money that they don't really expect to necessarily see in the short term. We're talking with Natalie Orenstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side. She wrote a recent series on the surge in evictions and eviction court after pandemic-era eviction moratoria ended. We know this is something a lot of people out there have some experience with. Are you a landlord or a tenant who was impacted by the pandemic eviction moratoriums? What's your experience been like? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. 6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Of course, Twitter, Instagram, threads, or KQED forum. Or you can join the conversation on our Discord. You can go to kqed.org slash forum if you want to find out how to do that. 
Why is there only one judge who's working on these cases if we know that there's this quote unquote tsunami coming through? Great question. Um, I don't necessarily have the answer. I mean, the short answer to that is that's just how it's always been done. And they haven't had to do anything differently in the past. One courtroom could feasibly handle 300 cases a month before the pandemic. And then certainly during the duration of the moratoria, there were a negligent number of eviction cases. And so they didn't need a ton of resources there. But as you said, tenant advocates certainly have been warning about this impending wave for three years now. Um, Yeah, in a a different landscape, they definitely could have predicted that and (laughs) and made some adjustments. Um, What's happening now, because that didn't happen, is a courthouse uh, department that is deeply overwhelmed. There's one judge. uh, She has one clerk. uh, They're just swimming in cases and uh, issues are arising because of that. Well, right. And the effect of that, right, is it just slows down many people's cases, right? I mean, they can't they can only get to X number per day. And if there's twice as many, then that's going to extend the number of days people have to wait, right? Yeah, it either slows down the cases or the judge just can't spend as much time and care on each case as she had been able to in the past. So this leaves both landlords frustrated with the slow pace of this process and then tenants frustrated with how quickly they feel like they're being moved through the system. Yeah, because it's a huge event in their lives, right? And they're getting a few minutes before this judge. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. We're talking with Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side, about her series on eviction court in Alameda County, kind of a microcosm of what's happening across the region. You know, one listener writes in to say, many landlords are still owed tens of thousands of dollars in back rent because of the eviction moratorium. The state did a really poor job of distributing rent relief money. Some tenants did not cooperate, probably because they didn't have a valid COVID reason not to pay rent. If the state wants to provide free housing, all taxpayers should pay for it, not just a few mom and pop landlords. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side. She's got a new series up on the site about eviction court, which is seeing a boom in cases as eviction moratoria are ending from the pandemic era. 
I wanted to ask you, Natalie, just a, a couple of questions about who you're meeting at the court, you know, um, on the tenant side. Like, what are some of the stories that, that you were kind of hearing for as people try and explain, you know, well, how did I end up in this situation? Like, what were kind of some of the situations you heard? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the vast majority of cases being heard are non-payment cases, so tenants who are behind on rent. And, you know, I think a lot of people might look at this situation and say, it's been three years of a moratorium. Uh, unemployment levels have changed significantly since that initial spike. Right. People might forget, but there was that huge spike, like the one of the weirdest spikes in U.S. labor market history. Totally. Um, But for someone who was already hanging on by a thread, which describes many, many households in, in Alameda County, having, you know, five months without an income, uh, that can take ages to recover from. Mm-hmm. One of the tenants I spoke with uh, was in a sort of different position where she they, um, they shared a, a two-bedroom apartment uh, in Alameda mm-hmm. with a roommate. Uh, roommate moved out immediately when the pandemic struck. Mm-hmm. Tenant had a baby. Um, mm-hmm. If you recall those initial 2020 months, mm-hmm. no one wanted a stranger to come into their house, right? right. It was quite hard to find a roommate, uh, let alone when you have an unvaccinated infant in there, right? And so they were suddenly responsible for double the rent that they had been paying. Um, they s- were in a car accident uh, during that time period, and they fell behind in rent. They got that rental assistance money we were talking about earlier. It covered only so much. And the cycle started all over again. Right. And you've got a you've got a baby at home. You've got a, a newborn. Totally. Yeah. So people do end up with these yeah really difficult situations. Let's um let's bring in a first caller. Uh, it's uh, Cyrus in Concord. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, my story is I'm sure one that's shared by probably many. Um, I lived in Concord, California. I've been living in this house for about 11 years renting. Uh, I was my wife and uh, my children. And um, during the moratorium, uh, my landlord had reached out and uh, wanted to raise rent, um, which he had done before. um, But we had notified him and said, you know, right now, this isn't maybe you're not aware, but there's a moratorium. You can't you can't raise rent on us. And you know, he responded with like, OK, I understand. I, I maybe I, I, he wasn't aware. And um, time went on during this time. My wife had gotten laid off. Um, she works in the study abroad program for students in the UC system. And obviously studying abroad and traveling mm, was not right. happening much during the, the pandemic. <laughs> so so just one income now, just me. And um, as soon as the moratorium ended and, um, you know, world kind of started picking up again, uh, you know, he reached out, didn't hesitate, just, you know, very shortly after the moratorium ended and said, you know, rent is going up. And we kind of ex- expected that and said, OK, you know, we saw this coming. We knew you were probably going to do this. What we didn't expect was that he had raised it by four hundred dollars on us, mm-hmm. um, whereas in the past it had always been maybe about fifty dollars, maximum one hundred dollars to increase to four hundred dollars immediately, immediately like that was something that we were not prepared for, nor were we able to uh, reach that asking price that he was asking. Um, We looked into some of the legalities of it. It actually looked like it was legal, that the amount of rent that we were paying, I think the Mm -hmm. percentage-wise, it it, it was something he could ask. Um, So what'd you do? Well, what we did was we 
we had to look elsewhere and we um, had to move out of the area. We no longer live in Concord. We had to move out to the outskirts um, of Martinez. We downsized. We found a much smaller home. Um, and that had to, that changed a lot of stuff where my commute for work went up. And so now gas has gone up. My wife's commute, who she works in uh, the Berkeley area, um, you know, again, now her commute has gone up because we're just further away from work. But it, we had to do what we had to do because that $400 a month increase yeah. was just not something that we could we could do. Oh, man, Cyrus. Sorry to hear about that situation, and um, thanks so much for sharing your story. Just kind of put some put some context, put some uh, understanding for people about the kinds of situations that were occurring as these moratoria were uh, expiring. You know, um, I wanted to note for listeners, you know, Concord's in Contra Costa County, so their moratorium expired ahead of Alameda County's, and that's how. You know, Cyrus was able to be in this situation earlier than in Alameda County. I thought maybe one thing we could pick up from from Cyrus's experience, Natalie, is what we learned in Alameda County or what we expect in Alameda County on the on based on the earlier expirations of moratoria like in other in other counties. Right. Well, the Contra Costa situation. And yes, thanks, um, Cyrus, for for sharing a situation that reflects what a lot of people are are going through. Um, the the implications here for mass displacement um, are real. Um, but yeah, it, there was an initial spike in Contra Costa County because uh, their moratorium ended much earlier. Uh, that what should have maybe been a bellwether for what was going to happen in uh, in Alameda County. Um, we have followed suit. There is a similar spike here. Um, I also want to note that the way this is playing out, even within Alameda County, there's a lot of variation city to city. I mentioned earlier that Oakland put in place a lot of permanent tenant protections, um, making it just permanently harder to evict someone now that the moratorium is over. That's not the case in other places in the county. Uh, the unincorporated areas of the county don't really have any tenant protections. And there's been a movement among tenants and activists to put in place what's called a just cause for eviction policy there, saying you can only evict people for certain reasons, a landlord moving in or a tenant missed rent. Um that policy actually got a first vote of approval from the Board of Supervisors. Then the makeup of that board changed and they kind of walked back on that. Huh. Yeah. Um, Andrew over on the Discord, which is our forum's digital community, says, I wonder what kinds of implementations could have been put in place to gradually phase out the moratorium instead of what we're seeing now. Are there examples in other counties? I'm not sure about other counties. Berkeley's Berkeley did do just that. They ended their moratorium in phases. So um, I believe one phase was if you didn't have a COVID impact, if you hadn't lost income during COVID, for example, you were allowed to be evicted. Um, The final stage saying you can evict anyone um, under general eviction policy is expiring at the end of this month. It'll be interesting to look at data about whether that mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, staggered the impacts. I feel like there's got to be so many economists out there because it's sort of like a 
uh, I mean, it is much more than this, but it is also kind of a natural experiment in the sort of differential local government policy, right? Around how, like, what are the best ways to protect people? How did all these different policies play out in this patchwork across the county? Right. And these policies that we've never really experimented with in the past. Totally. Um, there's another uh, really interesting Discord comment. Somalio writes, I'm curious to hear more about mediation and what kinds of solutions people are coming up with. It seems to me there must be a lot of renters who are able to make rent going forward, but not catch up on back rent. Is the court able to enforce partial payment plans or can landlords demand full payment immediately? Right. So that's the kind of stuff that gets worked out in settlement conferences. Lawyers on both sides uh put their heads together and negotiate over how is this going to play out in a way that either avoids eviction or eviction happens, but the tenant gets some kind of recourse. Um, That could look like the tenant can stay, but they have to pay all of their back rent within the next couple months. Or it can look like the tenant will leave, but give them three months to find another apartment. Um, And most most cases do settle. Um, it's very rare that they reach a trial stage. Um, but one of the one of the tenant lawyers I spoke to uh, put this really bluntly. They said there's a lot of desperation on the tenant side and mm-hmm. a lot of bitterness on the landlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, so settlements are less, uh, you know, less. There's less reception to working out a, a amicable deal these yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. Let's bring in uh, Chris in Oakland. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you um, for letting me speak. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I heard the comment from the guy in Concord earlier, and, and maybe more specific to Oakland, which is really where the big problem was. Oakland, um, their funding absolutely ended in March of uh, 30, 30, uh, uh, 2022, and they only funded uh, tenants that had a 30% AMI, uh, roughly, it's... if they earn 40000 or less, right? Mm-hmm. And it, this is really what's... what's AMI, area is. median income, right? So it's you're talking... Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is about 120000 So, So if you made 30% of that, that's all the funds that were available. Plus, the tenant had to file, uh, you know, their paperwork, which was... The, many did not do. Uh, be, and, and if they didn't do it, then... The, the landlord was out. So what you primarily have in, in Oakland is you have devastating to single family house owners. Maybe they had a one or two bedroom that they were renting largely elderly black women. They are foreclosed on. They are bankrupt. They weren't paid for three and a half years and they have to hire a lawyer now at, at an eviction costs $40,000. Of course, there are settlements, and you, you, you know, a tenant, tenant activist will drive up that cost for these elderly people that don't have any money. Foreclosure with a tenant in their their unit is their only choice. They lose everything. This is it's devastating the community. It it went on way too long in the city of Oakland, and it's unfunded, and there's no funds coming. There's no absolutely no. Maybe Alameda County is talking about two million dollars. We're talking about a five hundred million dollar. Back back rent debt. Yeah. It's a huge problem, and it's it's going to be significantly damaging to renters and landlords alike in the city of Oakland. It's 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 really going to hurt, it's particularly in single family housing. They're they're they're, yeah. they're going to Chris. Leave, thank you for for that perspective. I'm just going to restate a little a, a couple of things you said um, just for for listeners, right? I mean that 
Oakland ended up with a situation where they stopped providing rent relief. And Natalie, correct me if I'm wrong in restating, stopped providing um, rent relief in March 2022, ran out of money basically and started providing that rent relief only to people who were like really far uh, underneath the uh, area of median income, which left sort of this gap of people who still didn't have the money to pay the background. How would you describe? How would you describe? Would you agree with Chris's um, description of the situation? Yeah. So Oakland's program did focus on extremely low income uh, renters. The thinking there was the people most at risk of homelessness if they're facing eviction. They did send people with higher income to the state's program, um, which had a larger eligibility field. But as we talked about earlier, both of those programs had a lot of issues, really slow rollout. Yes, the funds went away for Oakland's program over a year ago, I believe, but people are still waiting on those checks in some cases. That is. So what do you think about, I mean, you know, we're talking about the tsunami of cases currently working through eviction court. Oakland's about to be add to that. And Chris is kind of saying the situation was worse in Oakland because of the way that the program worked. Does that mean we should be, what should we be expecting? It seems bad. Yeah, um, I, you know, I I mainly cover Oakland, so I can't quite compare um, Mm -hmm. how it worked here to the other places. Um, I do know across the board, uh, people were waiting on rent relief for a really long time. And uh, there will be extreme unpaid debt in kind of all corners of the county. Yeah. We're talking with Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland side, about her series on eviction court which, of course, is you know, especially relevant right now as a bunch of pandemic-era eviction moratoria end. We'd love to hear your experience, you know, if you're a landlord, if you're a tenant, if these moratoriums have touched your life in some way, give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. On social media things, we are KQED Forum. Let's bring in uh, Hannah in Oakland. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I love your show, and um, I really appreciate this topic. Um, I actually work for a rental assistance um, organization in San Francisco called RADCO. It's part of the Eviction Defense Collaborative. Mm -hmm. And um, so I am just wanted to expand a little bit more on the topic of rental assistance in Alameda County and Contra Costa. We get a lot of folks coming to our office from other counties seeking rental assistance. And the program that we are currently distributing rental assistance through is called uh, SFERAP, Emergency Mm -hmm. Rental Assistance, but it's only for San Francisco. Um, And I'm aware that a lot of other counties didn't, you know, have as much funding. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if there is going to be more funding for other counties. Clearly there's a massive disparity and a need um, all over, but, um, I, yeah, I'm just curious to know more um, mm. about possible upcoming rental assistance and funding for these communities. Yeah. Hannah, thanks so much for that call. Really appreciate it. And thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm fully up to speed on what's in the works, um, but that will be the next policy front here. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. The, the landlords who came and protested at city council meetings calling for an end to the three-year moratorium they're now going to turn their focus to what about all this money that I'm owed? Right, right. You know, one listener writes, participating in the state program required participation by both tenant and landlord. 
Some landlords did not want to participate because the actual rent charge did not agree with the rent declared in public documents. Um, is that something that you had encountered in your reporting at all? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mostly heard from landlords who said their tenants yeah, didn't want to participate. Um, but it's such a, a large program. I'm sure there were cases in both directions. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's... I, well, you know, let's talk a, a, a tiny bit more about the the court itself. Um, when you are looking at how it, things are playing out there, do you expect that this boom in evictions from Oakland is going to slow the court down in, in some way that kind of breaks the court? Like what are, are you worried about just given what you saw and given what we're hearing on the lines? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't know when, at what point would it be considered to sort of cross the threshold of something's got to give, something needs to change here. Uh, When I was there, it was, while everyone felt like totally underwater, they were still kind of going through business as usual. Mm -hmm. Um, Normal legal procedures were still still happening. Uh, The judge was still just proving requests on her computer, things were just still moving on mm-hmm. along. And um, I think it would take a lot for that to completely fall apart. Um, yeah. But we'll see what, what happens. Yeah. Uh, listener Mark writes, as a lifelong renter at 51, I support vigorous rent control and regulation. However, the broad brush of the moratorium was far too much. I left my rent at home in Berkeley in October 2021, and the person who I sublet a room to refused to leave when I did. He was threatening and erratic and frightening in many ways, paid no rent and filed reams of complaints. But because my landlord, who lives in an ADU in the back, was not physically attacked by him, she was unable to evict him. He stayed for 15 months after we left, creating turmoil and health issues for the landlord. My former subletter was verbally abusive on a daily basis. The moratorium was hastily conceived and resulted in a ton of pain for owners of single family properties who also dwell on the property. I think, you know, just another one of those individual stories that we've been hearing where we know people end up in really tough situations uh, all around. We're joined this morning by Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side. She's got a big series on eviction court up on Oakland Side right now. And we're going to take some more of your calls after the break. If you're a landlord, you're a tenant, you're somehow affected by the pandemic eviction moratoriums, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org or KQED Forum on Twitter, threads, Instagram. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side, local publication. She's got a big series up on eviction court. Want to go, well, you know, I've been listening to these calls come in and, you know, reading your stories. There are just a lot of people who are about to be evicted. And is there, like, Alameda County, City of Oakland, or any of these other entities, is there another program that's trying to catch those people? You know, because we know that homelessness is something that is ongoing and it's it, people fall into homelessness all the time. It just, just seems like an obvious place where we could try and intervene because the person's going to court as they're leaving, having been evicted. Shouldn't there be someone there who's like, hey, let's stop you from making it to the streets? Yeah, I mean, honestly, what I observed felt a little more like whack-a-mole with taking the most uh, looming eviction cases and just trying to to stop them in their tracks. Um, I don't think a lot of people have the space right now to think ahead of that. Um, Mm. You know, I think at the end of the day, we still live in one of the most expensive places in the world. Um, We have a severe affordable housing shortage across the Bay Area. Um, Mental health care leaves a lot to be desired. Eviction court is not addressing the root causes that got people in those positions in the first place. And I haven't seen a program that is specifically geared towards these people are going to face eviction in a month. Let's let's try to, you know, flood them with services. But all of those are the big pressing confounding issues facing Alameda County right now that are sort of being chipped away at from a few different angles. What did Judge Kolakowski, like, what was her perspective on her job? Like, was her yeah. job to keep people in their homes? She talked a lot about this. Um, she has, I think, what I described as a very judge-like take on this. You know, she she really sees limitations in what her capacity is. She, at the end of the day, has two choices. Keep people in their homes or evict them. Um, and she talked about the limitations of that. I mean, she said, we're not a social services agency. And what she meant by that is a lot of the people that make it all the way to, to eviction court had a lot of challenges that needed to be addressed from different corners of our social safety net mm-hmm. sooner than that and weren't. Um I talked about one case where a man was facing eviction from the unit that he had lived in for, I think, decades. Um, Mm -hmm. There was serious uh, debris pileup in his unit. He was on dialysis. He couldn't pay rent. Bunch of confluence of a bunch of issues that he needed help for. And he basically asked the court directly after after she the law basically required her to approve that eviction and he said well can you help me and they kind of whispered and at the end of the day sort of she's threw like, no. her hands the answer she's is like, no i, can't I would help like you. to but we don't have the yeah the capacity to god um stuff uh let's bring in lucy in hayward welcome lucy hi um my comment to this topic right now, mm-hmm. it's the lack of assistance for landlords. Mm-hmm. A lot of the assistance that's out there, it's literally 90% to help the tenants. 
I'm a self-represented landlord. I'm going through the court right now to evict the one tenant, the first property I ever bought for investment that hasn't paid rent in three plus years. I'm going through the courts in Hayward. And it's really difficult because I see that my observation, the courts are allowing for this cycle of leniency towards tenants versus having, unless you're lawyered up, you really are going in circles. And Mm -hmm. that's my comment because there is really, lawyers nowadays want an arm and a leg to represent you unless you're pretty much without income. And then you get all the assistance in the world for free. Mm So for me, it's really difficult, and I'm learning a lot, and I'm observing a lot, mm-hmm. because there is really no assistance for lawyer, for landlords, yeah. and all the assistance is all towards the tenants to try to keep them in a housing when they're trashing the place. They have money to go buy cars. They have money to buy new furniture. Everything that they want, but they're not prioritizing and being considerate and being civil about the situation. Yeah. At least that's my story. Yeah. I have a tenant in Hayward that has been paid rent over three years. She's dragging the process just to stay in a place where she claims is unhabitable. Yeah, Lucy, but- th- thank you so much for, for sharing that um, experience. I'm sure that must be extremely frustrating for you. I, I wanted, um, Natalie, you to talk about there, it's there in your stories. There is this program for you know small landlords to get some kind of legal assistance, but it it has these kind of crucial limitations. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So the city and county um, contract with legal services agencies um, largely for low income tenants. Um, Central Legal de la Raza, uh, Eviction Defense Center. There's a bunch of them. Um, There is a program, as you note, for low-income landlords. Um, This is actually a state-funded program. Um, It's called the Shriver Project. Uh, Legal Access Alameda is is the organization that provides this. Mm -hmm. Uh, As the caller noted, you have to qualify as low-income. In this case, it's basically double the federal poverty level. Um, So that's only, only a handful of property owners are eligible for that. Also... Those services are only for settlement conferences. They they can't w- walk a landlord through the entire case. Ah, uh, got it. Well, Lucy, maybe that's helpful for you. It's called the Shriver Project. Maybe it is not. Um, let's bring in uh, Jennifer in Ashland, California. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Jennifer Esteen, and I want to share that the county, you know, some of the issues you're talking about are extremely relevant. And also in the unincorporated area where evictions have been happening, more than 1,800 evictions have been filed since the moratorium was lifted. And the reason this is such a huge impact is because more than 60% of Oakland residents are renters. More than 50% of unincorporated residents are renters. We're talking about several hundred thousand Alameda County residents who are about to be at risk and are currently at risk. And most of them also include children. Homelessness is on the rise. We've seen an increase of 29% of homelessness since 2017 and 22% during the COVID crisis when the moratorium was actually in place. Mm -hmm. Our children 
in the unincorporated area are 19% of the students in Alameda County, yet our kids make up 34%, one-third of the homeless student population countywide. If we don't take actions and steps right now to keep people housed, we will see the number of homelessness folks rise. We know inflation is increasing. We know that uh, cost of living is high and wages are stagnant. We have to do as much as we possibly can to impact people's ability to stay housed because it actually costs our county more when people are unhoused and cycling through emergency emergency yeah. services. So, so Je- Jennifer, know, I wanted to ask you this um, uh, because th- th- I think this is a really interesting question. You're, you're basically saying like this is a social good to keep people housed. We got it. We want yep. families to stay in their homes, yep. but it seems hard to put it just on the landlords, right? So is there something that Alameda County should be doing? Is there some other policy that should be put in place to provide that social good without necessarily taking it out of, you know, uh, the just these set of landlords? Yes, I think that's an excellent question. And right now we have the opportunity to elect a new county supervisor who would put in protections for everyone. We can have rental subsidies that benefit landlords and tenants. We can increase the funding for the Healthy Homes Program that exists within the county that does repairs and cleans out houses like the story Natalie just told about the man who was hoarding and had medical and disability Mm -hmm. issues. We have programs that exist within the county, but the county actually has a 3,000 staff member vacancy. So those agencies cannot do the work that they are already supposed to be doing. And those vacant positions, some of them are vacant because we can't house people Mm. to work in the county because the cost of living is too high. So when the county elects a new supervisor, we could have programs in place that not only bring in housing subsidies for people who live here today, but we could increase the employment statistics by ensuring that people who work here have subsidies and extra ways to support having housing. And that is something that our candidate for Alameda County Supervisor, who happens to be Jennifer Esteen right now, you're talking (laughs) to me, who wants to bring these policies You don't say, Jennifer. You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it could be interesting to have me on the show to talk about my work as a psych nurse, the way that I help save evictions from happening in San Francisco with my clients and also used an excessive CEO tax to expand mental health care that's being provided in San Francisco. Thanks. And we can bring some of those policies right here to Alameda County. Jennifer, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, listening to the show and, and calling in as well. And I, I do want to, you know, um, Natalie, I want to take up the, the theme a little bit of like looking forward. Um, we like we know there's going to be an increase in homelessness as a result of these evictions, right? And so we got like, we have these, it feels like we have these multiple safety nets, which are just leaving these huge gaps in between because we're going to see people go right from this eviction system out onto the street. And then we're going to be trying to solve their problem in a totally different way with this homelessness infrastructure, which is also failing people in these crucial ways. Right. And I would say, Huge risk for increase in homelessness. Also, as we talked about with Cyrus, huge uh, risk for increase in displacement, changing the sort of demographic and landscape of of the Bay Area and um, uprooting people from their communities um, when they're evicted. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of disparate efforts to kind of chip away at different pieces of this um, this puzzle. There's, uh, you know, various 
programs for unhoused uh, people and communities. There's an effort to get a, a regional ballot measure um, out in, in November 2024 to build a whole lot more affordable housing. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's only Oakland, the city just merged its housing and homelessness departments. Those used to be separate mm-hmm. spheres. A lot of these issues are thought of as kind of different, um, intersecting, but different pieces of this puzzle. And yet um, it's all coming to a head here, as, right. you, as you said. Yeah. Um, we have a ton of of really thoughtful comments. I appreciate people writing those in. Let's uh, We'll do a little lightning round here, um, Natalie. Some people think the moratorium was a bad idea from the start. Putting aside all our feelings about landlords or government overreach, this was a bad idea from the get-go. Perhaps as an emergency intervention, it could have lasted for six months. Beyond that time frame, every extension just made the problem worse. We'd never allow someone to go into a store and take thousands of dollars of items with only the promise to pay later. The moratorium was a knee-jerk reaction, which was not thought out. Yeah, well, I want to also note there's a a group of landlords, both corporate and small, filed a lawsuit against Alameda County in Oakland uh, much earlier in the pandemic, trying at that point to end the moratorium. That lawsuit is still ongoing, I believe. Obviously, the question of whether the moratorium will end or not is off the table. But I think the outcome of that could influence whether this is a type of practice or policy we are able to do or look towards um, in future crises. Um, another listener writes in to say, could you have your guest clarify that landlords cannot evict tenants for the non-payment of rent during a moratorium? If I yes. am correct, this uh, listener says, a landlord can only file an unlawful detainer action for the non-payment of rent owed after May 1st and only for rent owed after that date. Additionally, can she also clarify there are several organizations that provide a free attorney if they qualify, as well as uh, volunteer mediators? Yes, that that first point is accurate. Um, In addition to that, though, there were cases that were filed in late 2019 or early 2020 that are now coming back up and kind of creating a whole bunch of new and complex legal questions. Um, yeah, I think we we talked a little earlier about um, the legal services pro bono that are available um, to tenants. Uh, I named a few organizations, Centro Legal del Raza, Eviction Defense Center. Um, there's a few others out there. Um, Barry Legal Aid. Yeah. Um, another listener writes, this is an issue we haven't gotten to yet. We moved out of Berkeley during the pandemic and had originally considered renting our house. We planned to charge a rent that would cover the mortgage payment on the house, which since we refinanced at the bottom of the market was very low. However, we would need that rent payment to supplement our current mortgage. I was surprised, though, that the pandemic restrictions were still such that if we rented to someone who didn't pay rent, we had little recourse other than a lengthy court battle. And after a few months, we just decided to sell. My original intention to add a rental housing unit at a more affordable price was just not possible due to the current rules. It was too much risk. It's something I've heard around town sometimes, people saying, like, I'd like to rent the ADU in my backyard. On the other hand, what if someone can't leave? There, There is a natural tension between these kind of renter protections and what how landlords would like the system to work. Um, do you see any changes uh, coming to that or how, how have you sort of thought about that? Yeah, it's a it's a big, interesting question. I mean, there has been a shift towards co- corporate ownership of, of rental housing and a lot of the small landlords I've talked to um, say that's because the regulations and burdens on small property owners are just so immense. It, it 
doesn't pencil out to rent a unit. It's a huge risk if your livelihood depends on that that rental income. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what sort of changes are, are coming yeah. to address that, but it is a it is an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I, Marv writes, and I think this is you know an an obvious piece of context that we should recognize. Though Marv writes. Am I the only person who sees the overall problem of single people having enough money to fund going to Mars while thousands of people make <laughs> such a small amount of money they don't have enough money to pay one or two thousand dollars a month for a place to live? Um, on that point, do you see any movement in Alameda County? You know, I, I've seen a lot of talk about like social housing, like new mm-hmm. forms of public housing. Like all of the people that we've talked to so far are working within the current system that we have, which generates this set of problems. Do you, is there any real movement in Alameda County for some other type of public housing system? Right. Um, Oakland actually set aside some amount of money a while back to pursue this idea of social housing, which essentially means public housing, uh, housing provided, potentially owned and operated by the government. Um, so you take out this this dynamic between landlord and tenant. Um, that said, I have not really seen any efforts in earnest really to pursue that. Um, the typical way that affordable housing works is uh, the government will subsidize a private or nonprofit developer to build um, housing, and you still have someone paying rent to a landlord. Right, right. Just a, a nonprofit uh, spot usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah, it's interesting. We have been talking with Natalie Ornstein, housing and homelessness reporter for Oakland Side. She's got a big series up on Oakland Side right now about eviction court. If you want to go into the kind of nitty gritty of the way that this is working. I want to get to this last um, policy comment. Emily writes, I'm the division manager for rent stabilization and eviction prote- prevention for the city of San Jose. When the eviction moratorium, state eviction moratorium ended in 2021, we began sending staff into courts to help get tenants and landlords connected to the state rent relief funds. We work with landlords, attorneys, tenants, mediators, and Sacred Heart Community Service to come up with an agreement. We've been able to prevent over 200 evictions this way. So maybe something to look at there in San Jose. Natalie Ornstein, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This was great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.